Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about Jeremiah Crichton, the something episode of Farscape. Who knows? They aired all willy-nilly. Okay, it's the 14th episode. Oh, did they stop airing all willy-nilly by this point? From here on out, they are in order. All right. Yeah, it's exciting. I did not want to prejudice you before we started this episode Mm. and tell you that this is one of the most reviled episodes of the show. Oh, good. (laughs) Good. It's not just me, because I uh, didn't care for this one. You know what? Okay, so after we watched this episode, I wanted you to understand, like, the history of where this episode comes from. Yeah. So I made you watch the terrible Star Trek, the original series episode, Paradise Syndrome. I do genuinely apologize for that, but I felt like you needed the context. I I am, my soul is lightened to know that other people disliked this episode as well. Well, so as I was saying, I showed you the Paradise Syndrome, which is basically the same episode. I know it was like after when we were when we were watching it, I was like, this is just they just remade the Paradise Syndrome. Watching them back to back, it's very clear. But this episode also reminds me of one of the most reviled episodes of Lost. The one with Jack's tattoos. The one with Jack's tattoos. I, The title is something like The Man from Another Place or something. Yeah, it's the one where it's like... It goes into a lot of really uncomfortable stereotypes about Asian people being magic and it's just... It sure does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So... So this episode is Jeremiah Crichton. Mm. It was written by Douglas Hayes Jr. who did this episode... And Till the Blood Runs Clear. I was about to say, the name sounded familiar. Till the Blood Runs Clear is the one that had the weird Native American stereotypes in it. It is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so I actually didn't know this until we were getting ready to record. I I looked it up because I always assumed the name Jeremiah Creighton was from that song. Which which song? Uh, Joy to the World. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Was a good friend of mine. Yeah. Et Et cetera. Wine. Never understood a single word he said, but I helped him drink his wine. Yes. The title actually refers to an old western. That's what brought it up. Uh. Called Jeremiah Johnson. And apparently this story is similar to that movie, but I'm not a big western fan. And I read the plot synopsis of that movie. and I don't really see it. I don't really see the similarities. But I would like to let all of our listeners know that... They've probably seen at least one frame of Jeremiah Johnson. It's that meme of Robert Redford where he looks like Zach Galifianakis. Wow. Yeah. When I found out that that was Robert Redford, I was like, what happened? Because he didn't look, he doesn't look like that now. Was there just a brief period where that's how he looked? I don't, I know that's Robert Redford. And I still, I just stare at that picture and I'm like, I, what? What, what is... What? It's the one with the, like, kind of heavy guy with a beard nodding, and he's wearing, like, you know, Davy Crockett clothes. You've you've seen it. I mean, seriously, just Google Robert Redford as Zach Galifianakis. I bet it pops up. (laughs) This episode was directed by Ian Watson, who also directed They've Got a Secret. Mm. That's the one where Moya cuts off life support because she gets pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one where, um... Dargo starts tripping and thinks that something, something, hey, look, it's Dargo's backstory that he's shouting at people because that's the only way people can, I don't know, talk about their backstories on the show is shouting well high. Yes, yes. Uh. 
So Douglas Hayes Jr. only wrote this episode and Till the Blood Runs Clear, but Ian Watson is a prolific Prolific. director on Farscape. So we're going to see a lot of him. We'll see him. The next time we'll see him is going to be in episode 17, Through the Looking Glass. And then again in episode 20. So, I mean, he's he's going to be all over this podcast. You ready to yeah. jump in? I'm going to preface this with saying I read a lot of, like, kind of British kids' adventure stories from the, like, 40s and 50s and 60s as a kid. Mm-hmm. And this sort of smacks a lot of those stories or i know this isn't exactly in line with that but mutiny on the bounty okay i i the bit where they're in fiji with the oh okay well yeah there's a lot of like exotification of the other mm. also okay so there's also this weird kind of stereotype i i almost want to send our listeners to watch lindsay ellis's video about the disney pocahontas yes but there's this weird turn where other cultures are romanticized in like a patronizing, condescending way. Exactly, exactly. And that's what's going on here, even though it's it's not another culture. It's just they're they're aliens. I mean, they're aliens that look like humans, but they're just aliens. Although the outfits, which I actually liked. I liked the outfits. I would wear outfits like that. But the costumer did specifically say that they were trying to do like a Polynesian look. And that definitely comes through. Yeah. Yeah. There's. Plus, as you pointed out when we were watching it, even though there are several races represented in this alien race, several human races represented. Mm. There are no white people. Yeah, it's the one planet in the universe where they put all the non-white people. That's where John lands in this episode. Yep. Yep. Not great. It's not great. It's like the Legion of Superheroes issue where, you know, people are like, hey, how come there don't seem to be any black people in the future? And whoever was writing the book in the 70s was like, oh, all of the black people decided that they wanted their own planet And then they made it out of phase with the rest of the universe so they didn't have to deal with white people. And that's why you don't see black people in the future. And then every future Legion writer was like, yeah, we're going to ignore that and just have black people in Legion stories because what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Also, all of the Chinese people who should have been in Firefly (laughs) are, are here on this planet, apparently. So. Jeremiah Crichton. Jeremiah Crichton. All right. Not a good friend of mine. So the episode opens with John getting really, really pissed off at the crew. Now, when when we were first watching the episode, I was like, boy, John's being a real huge asshole here, which he is. And you're like, I, I was surprised that you said that because you're always annoyed at everybody being so mean to John. I was like, aren't you glad that he's finally sticking up for himself? No, the thing is, I don't like when people are unnecessarily mean. And usually it's other people doing that to John. But here it's John doing it to the rest of the crew. And, like, they're normally way worse than this. This is not appropriate escalation of the situation. Okay, I see what you're saying. But the episode starts, like, right in the middle, as many episodes of Farscape do, with Dargo and John trying to fix uh, a piece of the ship that's messed up because Moya's pregnant, and Dargo just needling John. And I'm sure he's been needling John for an hour. But, yeah, you're right. Then he does storm out and... 
yell at Zan for asking him what's wrong. Well, okay, so I actually thought that, again, he says that he's fed up with Dargo, and Zan's like, fed up? And he's like, no, we're not doing a cute, my translator microbes don't know that phrase thing right now. Shut up, Zan. Shut your stupid blue mouth. And Zan's like, okay, I'm just not going to do anything this episode. Well, John decides that he just needs to cool off. And honestly, this is what you should do when you're mad. You should separate yourself from the situation and give yourself a minute to cool off. Should go for a little spacewalk. Go for a little spacewalk. Although, isn't Moya the size of, like, a city? Yes. I feel like you can get alone time in Moya. That's pro- Yeah, that's probably true. But then we wouldn't have this episode. Oh, no. What a loss that would have been. <laughs> yeah, so John gets into the Farscape 1, and he takes off just to go out and take some, get some air and just get away from these strange alien creatures for a minute. Mm. Unfortunately... Moya has... Rocket hiccups? Yeah, okay, so Moya is sensing that there's, that Moya is sensing that her baby is at risk, so to avoid that risk, she's gonna starburst away. I don't... For some reason. It doesn't really matter why. Doesn't really matter why. happen. Yeah, she starbursts away, and John is left in the middle of space like, Really? Really, guys? What the actual fuck? Rigel says, I hate Starburst, which I'm surprised hasn't been gift to be used against the candy. I mean, I don't think people have strong opinions about the candy. I know people, well, I guess people just really hate the yellow ones. People have feelings about specific flavors of Starburst, but I don't think people dislike Starburst in general. People are too harsh on the yellow ones. They're fine. They're like... The worst out of the main group of Starburst, but, like, they're not bad. They're just not as good as the other ones. Okay, so I'm a weirdo here. I like fake banana candy flavor. I think they're fake lemon. Oh. I was thinking of the little runts. Yeah. Yeah. God, I haven't had a runt in forever. Huh. Have we reached the stage of quarantine where we're just eating lots of childhood candy? I don't know. I mean, if I was going to, I'd go for jelly beans, because the thing I love about jelly beans is that you can just only get the ones that you want. <sighs> yeah. Well, well, for jelly bellies. Yeah. Like, yeah. just the black licorice, and the toasted marshmallow, and the- The like, root beer. The really spicy cinnamon ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and watermelon. I love watermelon uh, jelly beans. I, I really love the Jelly Belly watermelons where they're green on the outside and red on the inside. I That just it's makes the, me so happy. It's the coolest thing in the universe. I always bite them in half just so I can look at them. Like <laughs> It's such a cute detail. You know, it, it makes you feel like the, the effort was put in. Also, interesting thing about Jelly Bellies, the, you know, the, the gelatinous stuff in the middle of jelly beans? Mm-hmm. In most jelly beans... Only the outside crust is flavored and the inside is just gelatin. Jelly bellies flavor the gelatin. Oh. So. There's it, a lot of reasons they're the best jelly beans. But that's definitely one of them. Yeah. And and I just, whenever you bite those watermelon ones in half and you see the little red or pink in the inside, it reminds you that they go that extra step. Yeah. Yeah. Farscape. So John is hurtling through space and the Farscape one just ran out of fuel. No, 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 no. Um, 
Yeah, it didn't just run out of fuel while he was in space, though. It's just that there was a discussion before about how he had finally run out of fuel, and now he's it's being powered only by Leviathan bits. That doesn't really seem like it would be. Is that an explanation for why the, spoiler alert for this episode, tech blockers work on his ship now? Oh, I thought they were just throwing us a bone about how he was still able to fly the ship when he should at some point run out of fuel. But no, maybe that is an explanation for why the tech blockers work. Because, yeah, you would think that the ship would be so ancient that the tech blockers wouldn't work anymore. Okay. Well, it's it's serving two purposes. But his ship is in good enough condition to make it to some random-ass planet. And then, dun-dun-dun, three months later. Yeah. They don't tell us it's three months yet, but we just see John with a beard. Yeah. Chilling chilling on his his ship. His ship is like parked on the edge of a lake like it's a dock and he's just like sitting on the dock of the bay okay so this is interesting because john is a character who's typically more sexualized than we usually see male characters and this sort of thing that's accurate he's shirtless for a lot of this episode and it is not that this is not shot with a female gaze in mind that's true, yeah. It's more like a rugged kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's to show how he's gone back to the land, which it's interesting how just framing and camera work and everything can sort of be the difference between nudity and sexualization. John is shirtlessly catching a giant crab thing for, you know, eating when Lashala shows up, she's a native of this planet, and she has a giant, giant lady space boner for John. Yes. Yes. She is super into John. She gives him, like, a star chart that lists all the stars in the sky and is like, show me where your planet is, you sexy off-worlder. And, and John's like, it's... Okay, if this is the map, then it's... Way in the middle of the lake. Yeah, he's going to point to it with a rock, and then he just throws the rock in the lake. He's like, that's how far away it is. And she's like, you know, in my culture, if a man offers a woman food, then she's definitely going to boink him. And John's like, okay. But this potential boinking is interrupted by John's romantic rival, some guy. Rock on. Really? Rokon. 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 Okay, not rock on. No, Rokon. Rokon. Now, Rokon doesn't like John, and he makes fun of his tiny crab monster that he caught. Oh, poor John. It's not the size of the crab <laughs> monster that matters. God. So, Rokon's like, hey, dude, look, she's into me, and she's gonna boink me because my mom's the high priest, and her dad's the, like, chief guy, so... Yeah, because this is how it works, right? Like... The religious sect and the secular leaders, they they intermarry, apparently. Yeah, church and state are all like in this on this planet. Yes. Yes. And also on the planet that Kirk crashes on in the Paradise Syndrome. Oh my god. This after when you showed me it, this is literally just a remake of the Paradise Syndrome. Yeah. <sighs> Why would you do that? Why would you remake one of the worst episodes of the original series? That yeah. is a great question. I would rather they remade the one where they go to Gangster Planet. Is there is there an episode of Farscape where they go to Gangster Planet later? Yes, and it's amazing. <laughs> Do they wear the hats? No, no, they don't wear hats. 
Some gangster planet. Cross my heart and wish me dead. Stick a lobster on my head. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) We'll get there. So now we've established John's life. Women want to uh, be with him. Men want him to get off their planet. Yep. Yep. Meanwhile, back on Moya, the crew has been searching for John for three months because, you know, they starburst away. And now they have to check every habitable planet between where they were and where they starburst to. And I appreciate this because Moya's crew from episode three would not have come back looking for John. But here in episode 14, they don't want to stop looking. Even when they kind of discuss, maybe it's time that we give up on the search. No one's willing to pull the trigger, as it were, and say, yes, we're... We're done looking for John. I don't know. Zan seems pretty ready. <laughs> it's, it's weird that of all of the people, Zan is the one who's like, yeah, no. But I guess it's because she's the one who's already had sex with him. So she's done. <laughs> also, he made this very rude thing about her not being a priest anymore, like comment to her, which I mean, I know she said that she was giving up being a priest at the end of the episode with the other whatever the hell she is. Delvians. Delvians, but then she referred to herself as a Pau last episode, so... And I'm sure she'll still use her Pau things later, you know? Yeah, she definitely will. So, much like Kirk before him, John is ingratiating himself with the people of this planet by uh, interacting with kids, although in this case it's not making out with corpses, it's just playing with the children in the village. Yes. I do like, though, that in this episode, I mean, you say John's ingratiating himself to them, mm-hmm. but we see everybody already accepts John and likes him, except for Rakan. Yeah. And I like that they just jumped ahead three months. We didn't have to see all the awkwardness of, like, John explaining who he is and figuring out what's going on and how to fit in. We just jumped to, yeah, it's three months later, and you know what? I guess I'm just going to make a life on this planet. Yeah. Just going to chill here till I die. Which, it seems nice enough. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be trapped on a planet, there are worse ones to be trapped on. But just, geez, way to put in no effort with all of these people. Like, I mean, the costumes are fine, but like, they're just people. Just straight up no alien things whatsoever. They don't have tails or weird ears or, you know, forehead ridges or anything. It is, it is bothersome to me. I especially don't like it because we're going to find out later that this is a Hynerian colony. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it probably would have been expensive to do this because I know the Rigel puppet is a pain in the ass and it's just one puppet. And I know that they wanted the idea that John might have sex with this woman, but I would have liked it so much better if this was a planet of Hynerians. I mean, honest to God, they could have just put some Hynerian stuff on these people like yeah so that they looked like they were partial fish people oh they could have all been like the fish people from that sexy fish man movie shape of water yes yeah could have been in front of the trend yes and then it could have been like really daring if john decided to have sex with her dear dear lashala of all of the hideous fish people (laughs) on this planet you are apparently the hottest it's so weird because I was just thinking about the episode of Futurama where Fry ends up uh, wanting to stay in Atlantis. Ah, yes. And then he finds out that... Why couldn't she be the other kind of mermaid with the fish part on top and the lady part on the bottom? Yeah, because mermaids aren't body breeders, according to Futurama. 
So anyway, John's talking to Lashala's father. And he's like, you know, in our society, the women get to choose what men they marry. So looks like you're probably going to have to start putting out for my daughter sometime soon. Also, he asked John to come sit next to him, which is apparently like this huge honor. And it's nice because it's an honor to John and it signals that he would be okay with John and Lashala marrying. But also it's like a huge slap in the face to rock on. So... Rokon. Rokon. So, oops. Oops. <laughs> and even John is like, you know how I put my tent and all of my stuff away from you guys so that I didn't get into a fight with your soldiers? You're fucking all that up for me right now. And the chief's like, hey, look, if my daughter wants to fuck you, everyone's just got to get used to you being around. So... Tough shit, Sherlock. (laughs) Yep. Yep. But, okay, so... I want a whole episode about Rokan's mom, because I fucking love her. Mom, why are you five years older than me? Okay, um, if you love Rokan's mom, we definitely need to watch some more Deep Space Nine. Mm. Because she's very similar to a religious leader that shows up in Deep Space Nine. Okay. But yeah, she's, she's the head of the religious sect of this planet. And she's like... Dripping poison in Rokan's ear, all like, John is taking your place. You should kill him so that he doesn't do that. She's not subtle. <laughs> no. Like, Iago, she ain't. He's like, hey, hey, if you want to bang Lashala, you're going to have to kill the white guy. And he's like, oh, no. Oh, how could I ever? Okay. Also, remember, this isn't just about banging Lashala. This is, he'll be the leader if he marries Lashala, yes. I guess. I don't know who's going to be the religious leader then. I guess maybe he has a sister who will then be the religious leader. Ooh, but then does his sister's kid have to marry his kid? You know, I have questions about monarchy on this planet. Maybe the religious thing is like an appointed post and the only the uh, leader thing is... Uh, uh, Hereditary? Uh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe she just wants church and state to start getting even more, uh... Like, maybe her job would have been easier if she had been married to What's-His-Bucket, the leader guy. I mean, probably. Yeah. Yeah. A little ways off, Dargo and Rigel have just shown up in a pod. Hmm. And we learn that this transport pod basically crashed the last 20 miles... Because as it started to enter the planet, something happened that cut off all of the energy that runs the pod. By the way, this planet looks a lot like the first planet John ever went to. the one From that... IET? Yeah. Which I'm guessing is probably just because it's what was outside of the studio they were filming on. I at... mean, I think so. That's probably right. <laughs> so, essentially we discover that... Nothing that uses power works on this planet. They can barely communicate with Moya. In fact, they get a little bit of a crackly message to pilot, but then they're not going to get any more messages out for the rest of this episode. Uh Uh-oh, are we going to have to watch the Rigel puppet try to walk? Yeah, Rigel's chair crashes, and now the Rigel puppet has to walk. This, okay, this cracks me up, because this is just a, this is a very simple plot thing right rigel's chair doesn't work but if you're gonna write that into the plot i feel like there should be a macro on your computer if you're a script writer for farscape where as soon as you write something about 
Rigel's chair not working, like, Clippy pops up and is like, you're aware that the chair is what makes the puppet operable, right? (laughs) You are creating a pain in the ass for the puppeteers this episode. Are you aware of that? Would you like to continue? Yes, Rigel takes, like, four steps and it's the most awkward thing in the universe. I mean, it's not as awkward as when we had to watch him walk in that other episode, but yes. yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> they do it from kind of far away and at an angle. And, and he has, like, robes that go to the ground this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. I just, I feel bad for the people who had to deal with that. It reminds me of uh, when I was looking at an Art of Star Trek book, mm-hmm. and one of the set designers was talking about how one of the writers kept writing things where people would remove panels from the wall to do stuff. And he finally lost it and was like, you know that there's nothing really behind those panels, right? You know every time you write that, I have to build something to be behind that panel, right? I mean, that's... I mean, it it adds verisimilitude to this show. Like, (laughs) I get being upset that that's a thing you have to do, but, like... Yeah. I mean, honestly, you have to do that in, in every show ever, right? Like, yeah. you, you, have, you have to build the set. N- none, of the, none of these take place in actual spaceships. Well, even even on television shows that are on Earth, they are usually not shot in, you know, an actual house or an actual office. Yeah, like, there's nothing behind any closet door anywhere unless there needs to be. Mm-hmm. And then someone has to build it. Right? Like, what did the set dressers on Friends think when that episode was written where they had to open that closet door finally? That's why it was so full of stuff. So they just had to build something they could put press directly against. Oh, just a wall of stuff. See, I was thinking how annoying it would be to build a wall of stuff. But you're right. They only had to build the wall of stuff. Huh. Yeah. Meanwhile, Zan and Aaron are in the spaceship because you have to have every character, you know, in the main cast in at least a little bit of the episode yeah so they're trying to figure out what to do it's weird how this episode breaks down as girls and boys right Mm. like i'm sure that's not purposeful but zan and aaron are up on the ship and dargo and rigel went down honestly it's i hadn't really thought about this but it doesn't make sense that rigel would have gone down to the planet it probably would have been either dargo and zan or dargo and Aaron, it doesn't make sense for Rigel to have gone other than we need to see the thing that happens happen. And there's no script explanation for why he's the one that went down. It's true. All right. So the point is Aaron and Zan are up on the ship and they know that they can't follow the boys down because they're just going to lose another transport pod when they get onto the planet. But they have to figure out how to send them some sort of assistance down on the planet. And Aaron's like, it's too bad you're not a, you know, priest anymore with nifty psychic powers we could use to contact anyone. And uh, Zan's like, oh yeah, well, everyone in your race hates you, so shut up. Yeah. (laughs) Which, it's kind of (laughs) escalating. That escalated quickly? (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty sure Zen uses her powers later in the show, right? Like, oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. 100%. So, I mean, I, I get kind of trying to write out Zan's powers because they're sort of show-breaking after a certain point, but come on. Yeah, well, I mean, this isn't really about writing out Zan's powers. It's more about giving her a crisis of faith so that she doesn't have to be so moral all the time. Oh, yeah. That Although was I would ever... argue, yeah. 
I, I would argue that she's never been moral, but the writers thought she was. Okay. I mean, didn't that episode just prove that she's better at her religion than everyone else? Yeah, she leveled up. It, it's okay. doesn't matter. Ugh. So, meanwhile, a bunch of Rokan's dudes are trying to kill John. Yeah, yeah. John is like, dudes, I just want to not fight with you. And they're like, too bad. Too bad. We're at the Bear Midriff army and we're going to kick your ass. Okay, so... This is still not shot from a from a female gaze, but I do appreciate that all of these guys who are supposedly the king's army have the same kind of armor problem that women usually have, where it's like, what exactly is that armor protecting? It's protecting the nipples. But it doesn't even. It's just like a cage that goes like around the... Ri- okay, I guess no. it covers the nipples. It covers the nipples and the shoulders, just like female armor. Uh, uh. Except for Rokan, who is just shirtless all the time. Yep. Yep. And his shirtlessness, by the way, has defeated John's shirtlessness. Because John has not only put on a shirt, he's wearing a shirt and a vest over it. Mm. Yeah. So, John is saved by the timely intervention of Dargo, who does not use his knockout tongue at any point during this fight. Well, maybe it was affected by the electrical thing. God. And yeah, instead he just, he wails on all these guys with his sword gun, which he uses as a club, which isn't even one of the two weapons it's supposed to be. Okay, I mean, sure, pick that apart. But I was more like, wow, it's really convenient that they- Use your phony guns as clubs. I'm sorry, go on. I was just thinking they've been looking for him for three months and they showed up right at the moment he was about to be killed. It is very good timing. And John's like, yeah, nice to see you. Go away. I'm still mad from that argument we had three months ago. Well, he's mad that they had an argument and then they just ditched him. He's like, dude. It's true. John had tons of opportunities to ditch uh, them and did not. Yeah. But John's like, look, I have this sort of nice, simple life that you had on Farm Planet. Except I'm not being poisoned. Yeah. I actually do want to be here. But... Dargo coming has fucked all of this up for John because Rokon goes back to the king and is like, yeah, you let some alien set up shop on our planet and now he's brought even worse aliens with him. And the religious leader lady, Rokon's mom, is like, hey, hey, political leader guy, let's kill him. I believe that the proper protocol here is to kill him for bringing aliens onto this planet and leader guy's like, uh, but we're aliens too. We colonized this planet low those many years ago. Yeah, this is so that we, the audience, know they're aliens. I do like that Lashala is like, hey, how about if you stop worrying about who I'm going to fuck and you get your own sex life? I like Lashala. Yeah, yeah. This is a better version of that Star Trek episode. Yes. I mean, both her and... Lilu or whatever the name of the woman was in that, uh, Mirami? Merrily, Mira, Mira, Mirabali, yeah, whatever. Yeah. From, from the Star Trek episode. From the Star Trek episode. They both basically have one personality trait, which is, you know, trying to fuck the first white guy they see, to quote from Lindsay Ellis's Pocahontas video. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, at least... This one kind of has a personality outside of that. 
Well, because she's she's much more like a she's much less a Pocahontas and a, a much more of a of a Jasmine. Like, yeah, she's gonna choose the person that she wants to fuck. She's not gonna fuck who's politically expedient to fuck. Which, which in the nineties is what we called feminism. Oh God, like very feminist, but not in a way that is actually feminist at all. Feminist, but not in a way that's threatening to men. Like feminist, but still sexually available. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, but it is amazing how this is literally just that Star Trek episode. Like the, the characters map one to one on. Yeah, it, they do. Wait, so does that mean Rigel is Spock? Well, okay, so the characters match map one to one to one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so John is Kirk, but also Rigel is Kirk because, well, we'll get to that in a second. Yes. It's the other really, really unpleasant thing that happens with ill-defined native characters in media up until like 10 years ago. Possibly even media after that point, because... Ugh. Anyway. So, Rachel sneaks into a bag so that, you know, he doesn't have to walk anymore as John is throwing him and Dargo off of his planet yeah he basically just burrowed and hid out in john's little tent enclosure and john's like all right rigel dargo get out of here because you know whatever yeah john's still very mad about the whole abandoning him in space thing and they're like yeah but it wasn't her fault you know Moya, blah 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 wacky things are gonna happen when you live in a living ship wacky things happen yeah they're like that's what happens with a pregnant leviathan also, we just looked for you for three months. You think that we took off and then spent three months trying to find you? Okay, so they, they do clarify this. Uh, Dargo's like, we spent a quarter of a cycle trying to find you. And John's like, three months. So we know that a cycle is indeed equivalent to one year because we've talked about this before. Yeah, and about a year. I feel like that kind of throws things off because it means like, Rigel is like thousands of cycles old and... And, uh... Dargo's only, like... 17. Well, okay, no, Dargo's, like, 50 cycles old, but it's, like, the equivalent of 17. Because when he told Zan how many cycles he was, she's like, oh, you're still a boy. Uncomfortable. Anyway, John does not want to have any of this. He just wants them off his planet, which it's it's not your planet. Also, they can't leave because of the whole power thing. Yeah, so good luck, Crichton. Again, whole planet. Just like with Moya, you could just go to a different... Yeah, just go camp out in a different part of the planet, away from all of this. How small is the planet that this is... Also, how small is the planet that they happen to land in the same general area as John? They landed in the area... Okay, so actually, we go back up to Moya, where Aaron and Zan are, and Aaron has a bio-reading of the planet. Like, their sensors don't really work, but they can see where the inhabitants are and that's what happened they landed where they saw the people were clustered so they've been colonizing this planet for like thousands of years and they all still only live in this one area yeah they live in like the nice area next to the lake (laughs) who's gonna who's gonna volunteer to live not next to the lake i'm sure there are other lakes on this planet are you your point but they're going to use this kind of biomapping to try to figure out how to save John and Dargo and Rigel. Probably mostly just John and Dargo. 
Bradshaw's like, what's the opposite of collateral damage? It's like collateral cleaning things up. Meanwhile, back on the planet, John is talking to Dargo about how blah, blah, blah. You know, ever since I got lost in space, I've been, you know, shot at and beaten up. And I've had things inserted in every orifice in my body and not just the fun ones. And you know what? I'm not a huge fan of having stuff crawling up inside me all the damn time. And Dargo's like, hey, hey, I know what you're feeling, but I also don't care. Get on the goddamn spaceship as soon as we get things repaired. Right? This isn't your home. But Lashala shows up. Look, you wouldn't let me stay on Farm Planet, so I'm not letting you stay here. You know what? That's fair. That's fair. So Lashala shows up and is like, oh, wow. Rokon was not lying. You do have a giant alien warrior guy with you. Weird. Yeah. I mean, she just kind of underreacts to, I guess they know aliens exist because they're aliens to this planet, but. Yeah. Yeah. But Lashala's like, okay, well, Rokon's pouring poison into my dad's ear, so you need to go and tell him that Dargo is not bad, like, right now. Like, right this second. And what's weird is, Dargo goes with them. Like, it seemed to me like maybe John should go by himself and have this conversation. Yeah, Dargo's not exactly Mr. Diplomacy. No, he has, like, the shortest fuse ever. Maybe don't bring him, but whatever. But before they can, like, get to the king, Rokon and the other guards capture them in a net? They just throw nets over them and, uh uh-oh, I guess, oh no! A net, the one thing I'm powerless against. They also grab a hold of LaShawn and she's like, let me go. And I'm like, she's going to be your ruler when her dad dies. Don't piss her off. So I think this earlier this episode was the first time Dargo ever won a fight. So they needed to uh, cancel that out by immediately having him be defeated by having a small net thrown over him. Yes. Yes. And uh, meanwhile, the other guards grab the bag that Rigel is hiding in. So so now they've got that too, just just to track where everyone is. Now everyone's going to be back at the encampment. What's weird to me is, I know it needs to happen for the reveal to happen, but they grabbed a hold of this wriggly bag without looking to see what was in it. Yeah, like they went into John's encampment and they ransacked one thing and it was a bag. That was moving! It reminds me of this kid I used to know mm-hmm. who had pet sugar gliders. Mm-hmm. You know sugar gliders? Yeah, those like weird animal things with the big eyes and the. Yeah, I think they're like in the squirrel family. They're like related to squirrels. Yeah, I, I was trying to think what they were like. I, I keep thinking like lemurs, but squirrel. Yeah, but they're teeny tiny, and he kept them in a crown royal bag. So that doesn't seem safe for them. I don't know. They seemed happy, but. We would be out in public and he'd have this little Crown Royale bag that was, like, moving around. Because he had little sugar gliders in it. Yeah, it probably wasn't the best. Also, I don't even know if it's legal to keep sugar gliders as pets. I wouldn't think so, but I don't know. I mean, was was this in Florida? (laughs) Yes, this was in Florida. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, there are no rules. (laughs) I know. I've read Carl Heisen books. So... Basically, Rokon is accusing John of using his alien sex wiles to seduce the chief's daughter and then having his tentacle friend try to murder Rokon so she wouldn't choose Rokon instead. Okay, so I feel like this show is trying to not be racist. Like, it's failing. But I feel like it's trying. Because there's a very 
Pocahontas moment here where Rokon argues that John has been sentenced to death and Lashala is like, no, father, I love him. And she throws herself in front of John and her dad's like, I wasn't going to kill him. Yeah. Like. What, what, what do you think this is? No, I'm not going to kill him. But then he sentences him to 10 years hard labor. Which. But before any of that can happen, they all notice that the bag is moving. So they didn't notice that the bag was moving. Or why did they grab the bag? Unclear. Why is Rigel even on the planet? Unclear. So they open the bag and Rigel pops out and they all bow down to him because he's their god. And oh god, this is so uncomfortable. Yep. Hey. Yep. This is the other thing that happens with Kirk in the Paradise Syndrome, by the way. They all decide that he's God. But here they all decide that Rigel is God, which I have to say is very uncomfortable, but it is less uncomfortable than if they had all decided that John was God. Yes. Yes. This episode is like leaning a lot on being less racist than the episode from the 60s that it's ripping off. Well, as I said to you when we were watching it, it's 90s racist, but it's not 60s racist. Yeah. Oof. Hey, any of y'all see The Chipmunk's Great Adventure? I haven't, so I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. I think I just remembered it. I think a bunch of childhood stuff just came back to me. Yeah. 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 It's the. It was the movie that made a lot of kids go, wow, I suddenly understand what racism is. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons you don't really see, like, around the world in 80 days style movies anymore. Because it's really hard to do one without... Without just being a bunch of stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. But that used to be, like, a, you know, stock plot for movies. And it just kind of stopped being one after a while. Because there's no good way to do it. I guess our frat... Like, we talked about frat movies a little bit. I think... On our last Charmed episode? Yeah, we did. It's sort of interesting to look at this sort of sci-fi thing where they end up using tropes from other media. Like, again, Futurama is a sci-fi show, but they have a frat episode. Yeah, although Futurama is more like a sci-fi framework to do just whatever kind of parodies they want to do. Yeah. But it, it's kind of interesting to look at old shows doing takes on genres that kind of don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, these people all think that Rigel's their god, the Masata, right? Mm. So essentially, this colony is a lost Hynerian colony. So that's why they think that fishmen are gods. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a one of the billions of planets that belongs to Rigel's people. They were set up by Rigel's people, but that was so long ago that they forgot that the that Rigel's people were just their rulers and not gods and their religion got kind of mixed up with the whole colony thing and uh... You know what TV show did this really well? What? Red Dwarf. Really? Yes. So, Red Dwarf has a thing. I, I was going to say an episode, but really it's, it's part of the plot point. The plot of Red Dwarf is that Lister 
is the last human alive. And the reason he lives is because he was in cryosleep when there was radiation on the ship. And the ship had to go out into space for six million years until the radiation levels were safe. And then they let Lister back out. So now Lister is the last human. And he has some companions. And one of his companions is the creature that evolved from the cat that he brought onto the ship. That's actually the reason he was in cryosleep. It was because it was essentially he was in the brig because he broke quarantine and brought a pregnant cat onto the ship. And and cats are immune to radiation. Apparently. But in those six million years, the cats bred and reproduced and evolved. And essentially it's a human cat person. Mm-hmm. But there's an episode where we learn that their religion is based on stuff that Lister would say to his pet cat. It's a much better episode than this one. All right, then. So, Rigel is enjoying being fish king god of these people. Yeah, there's a really uncomfortable scene where he's being bathed by Attractive women. Attractive women. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's it, go back to the ship. Yeah, let's go back to the ship where Xan and Aaron are something, something... It's like a balloon and then something bad happens. Aaron is making a power source that is shielded from the stuff on the planet that keeps electronics from working. So then she's going to, like, drop this power source onto the planet where the guys are and let them, and it'll let them fix their stuff and get away. I'm just going to bring up here. That's pointless. Yeah, there's no point in Aaron and Zan scenes in this episode. I mean, it seems interesting because it's like, oh, this is something that can help them solve the problem of the episode, which is getting their stuff working so they can get out of there. But actually, they're going to get their stuff working in an entirely different way. Zan and Aaron could be lifted right out of this episode and it would change nothing. Yeah. So, I get the feeling, like, like... I like that they're trying to build off the whole, oh, look, Aaron is opening up to doing tech stuff. I like that running thing in the show. Mm-hmm. But, like, you're right. This could lift out so easily. I like that she made it and she was like, well, I've done everything I know how to do. I'm going to shoot it down to John and trust that he knows how to finish it. If only one of us could telepathically communicate with John. I mean, she can't. It's, it's like in D&D, right? If you're a priest in D&D and you get mad at your god or your god gets mad at you, you lose access to your powers. But later she uses them. Yeah, because she and her god make up. Why did she break up with her god in the first place? Because she saw that evil sect and was like, oh no, bad things being done in the name of religion. Were you un- Like, the uh, that guy you were dating sold your entire people to the peacekeepers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reason that she's a rebel in the first place is because she saw religious leaders who tried to seize power through religion, so... So it feels like the only reason they wrote this in is so that they could take her powers off the table for when it was inconvenient, which is dumb, because they were just ignoring them when it was inconvenient before earlier. Well, I think she's a lot less psychic than you think she is. Couldn't she connect with John because they had brain sex that one time? She's not, uh... Professor X. Yeah, I was gonna say she's not a beta edge, a beta zoid. She can't like, it's it's not the same kind of like superpower. Anyway, the religious leader comes to Rigel and is like, "So you know all the religious stuff that you should know, right? So that we don't think you're a false god and kill you." And Rigel's like, "Well, why don't you bring me the religious text to review?" And then she's like, "I'll go get that." 
And Dargo's like, how did you know? And he's like, because there's always a religious text. It's like, it's how every religion works. Yeah. Which, I mean, good on him for being genre savvy. Yeah, I do like, and this is a thing that I'll bring up in other episodes too. I like that there's not as much flailing around on Farscape as there normally is on TV. Rigel's not like, oh, uh, no, I don't. He's like, bring me the religious text. I will read it and let you know. So, meanwhile, John is packing his stuff. Well, he's got to take off no matter what. Like, he, he might not be able to get back into space, but he probably can't stay next to this encampment anymore. But Lashala is there at his encampment, and she's all depressed. And I like this, because I, I was watching this part, I was like, ooh, it's reverse Tempest. Because now that Rigel, their god, has shown up, the prophecy says that Rigel's going to take them back to space. And she's like... But I like this planet. I don't want to go back to space. She's also kind of honked off at John because she's like, so you're like an immortal god being and you didn't tell me, which is sort of the opposite of what happens with Kirk in that episode. Yeah. Because that woman was like, who, you're an immortal god being? Let's get to banging. Why don't you get me pregnant so I can, you know, die by the end of the episode? Otherwise, things would be super awkward because it would mean either... Kirk is going to abandon his child or bring that child into... Oh, God, there's just no way to end that well. Yeah, like, they had to ki- they had to kill her because it would be narratively inconvenient to have her not die. I did like your, your response when we were watching that, which was, so in the future, they don't have a cure for rocks? <laughs> like, they th- she got hit with, like, one rock, and <laughs> Kirk got hit with, like, hundreds of them, and she's like... I'm alive. I'm alive for like a day and a half, and then I die. But they 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 have no cures for blunt force trauma in the future. Apparently not. Apparently not. They have like a pill that will regrow your liver in the one with the whales or kidneys or whatever that. Yeah, old. yeah, they do. Also, you could argue that in the Ponfar episode, they bring Kirk back from the dead. <laughs> Kirk's like, you know what? Let's just get out of here. We have the technology, but eh. <laughs> so, meanwhile, over at the encampment where all of the people are getting ready for the big party where Rigel's supposed to, like, be a god and take them all back into space. Everyone's doing a mildly choreographed dance in preparation. Yeah, like you do. So, Rigel, meanwhile, has read their sacred text, which is in ancient Hynerian, and he realized that, oh, shoot, his people are giant dicks. They sent these people to another planet, and they set up a thing so that when they landed, all of their technology would stop working, like an obelisk that stops their technology. All their technology is going to stop working, and they're going to be stuck on the planet, and the Hynerians are just going to, like, abandon them. Why? Not clear. (laughs) Not explained. Dear Lord. Also, Rigel explains that They've added a lot of stuff about the Hynerians being gods and stuff. Like, it wasn't originally in there, but essentially the priest class made that up to give themselves power. Oh, wow. Again. What a a novel take on religion. Seriously. Also, like, I don't love, I don't love that a lot of this episode is, you know, they come to this native land and inform these people that their religion is wrong. That's the crux of the episode. Yep. 
Yeah, that is, that's what happens. That's what goes down. So everyone's dancing. There's fire and drums and stuff. It's a good old time all around. You know what I said about the male, uh, about the female gaze not really being present in this episode? Mm-hmm. There is a very, very lingering shot of John's butt as he crawls into the chief's house. Okay, but I don't think that that was part of the direction. I think it's just in Ben Browder's contract that the camera will linger lovingly on his ass at least once per episode. It is a very awkwardly nice long shot. Oh. Two different, different directions. Yeah. Ben Browder has a nice ass, but that shot is awkwardly long. Yeah, yeah. So the reason he goes into the tent is to tell Rigel, hey, guess what? You're fucked because they think you're a god and you are not. Which Rigel and Darbo already knew. They already got there 10 minutes ago, John. This is not new information. Speaking of things that aren't going to affect the plot, back on Moya, Aaron and Zan get ready to send their battery down to the planet. But, you know, it... it, it Kerplodes. No, no, it lands, but, like, they can't track it or anything because their sensors don't work on the planet, so. Thanks for the space garbage, jackasses. <laughs> right? Oh, so, down on the planet. And I, you know what? I respect Rigel for this. Rigel's like, okay, so, first of all, let me give a big I'm sorry on behalf of my ancestors, who were total dicks to you for reasons that are unclear. <laughs> Everything you believe is bullshit. I'm just a guy. Your religion is dumb. You're all idiots. Sorry. And then the priestess <laughs> is like, um, but the prophecy says you'll take us up into space and that you're a god. And Rigel's like, okay, number one, it's a metaphor. And number two, you made that all up so that you could have power. But it turns out that the people are more inclined to believe their priestess than the fish person who showed up yesterday. Weird that. Yeah, yeah. So, as as so often does in these situations, things go bad quickly when it turns out Rigel's not a god. Yep, they all start chanting false god, false god. And this is literally the scene with Kirk. Yeah. Literally the scene with Kirk. There's even a stone you have to put your hand on. Yeah, The uh, what's funny though is in the Paradise Syndrome, the obelisk has a deflector that shoots asteroids away from crashing into the planet whereas here the obelisk keeps you trapped on the planet so dargo and john are trying to get away from the mob when <laughs> i do love how the tech ball that aaron and zan dropped on the planet just sort of falls in the background behind them and it really just seems like someone threw it from like a tree or something <laughs> next to the lake yes oh but it pinpoints where the device is that's stopping electricity from working geez i wonder if it's the giant statue with the rigel shaped handprint on it now to be fair we've seen the giant rigel statue but we have not yet seen that there are handprints on it yes so back at the village they're taking him to be burned at the giant statue of himself as one does i suppose yeah and rokun's like so guess you gotta marry me now huh to what's your bucket and she's like ugh. is like this is not sexy times. Do not. No, no. But John comes back and is like, wait, wait, the people on my ship just send me coordinates for the thing that's keeping you trapped on the planet. So stop killing Rigel for like a second and I will figure out 
where the thing is that's stopping your tech, and then everyone can be happy. But, uh, yeah, they don't like that. Yeah. They'd rather burn Rigel. And you know what? Fair. Who can blame them? Who can blame them? So, Raikon's like, look, there's only one way we can settle this, and it's by trial by combat. I mean, it's more like I'm just going to run at you with a sword. It's it's not as, uh... Official. As trial by combat, but yeah. So, John and Raikon get into sort of... Like, they're, they're arguing a little bit before the fight. They get all up in each other's faces. Then they start actually fighting again. Rykon knocks John's ass to the ground. And John sees the place where a uh, Hynerian would put his hands on the statue. He grabs little puppet Rigel by his little puppet knobs and then shoves him onto that part. And... Okay, wait. I want to tell a story. Okay. Okay, so this is from a role-playing game I was in. Mm-hmm. I was... A plane, uh, uh, it was a shadow run game. Mm-hmm. And we were basically in like a Hellraiser situation, you know, like the Hellraiser puzzle boxes. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, this puzzle box shows up and a handprint starts glowing on the puzzle box. And our storyteller is like, all right, everyone who has the flop or willpower make a saving throw to keep from putting your hand on that glowing hand. So we all roll, and I, like, critically succeeded. Critical success. And everyone else succeeded, and I'm like, but I go ahead and put my hand on it anyway. Because it turns out that I, Tina, have poor willpower. But also, like, what? We're going to not go with the obvious next part of the game? No, we go with the game. Well, yeah, I I mean, I remember the last game we did, the game you were running, when we had one player who is really resistant to doing things that might be traps but we're like we need to do those things otherwise the plot won't happen yeah yeah anyway yeah it turns out that when rigel touches the stone it like it glows and it breaks open and oh my god everyone can use technology now i mean so seriously the thing that they sent down to john what told him that there was a thing that was stopping them from using energy, but they already knew that. It theoretically told him where it was, but he didn't have time to read that. All that happened was that he saw the little Rigel handprints on it. Yeah. So, no point. Rigel's tiny chair flies over to him, and he sits in it, and it rises up, and they're all like, whoa. And the puppeteers all breathe a sigh of relief because they don't have to operate Rigel's feet anymore. And all of the people bow to him again. He's like... It's technology. Also, some of the king's soldiers who were working for Rikon, even though they shouldn't be working for Rikon, forced the priestess to kneel to him. Well, okay, they were working for Rikon because they were like, because he's like the head guard. Oh. But yeah, no, they make the priestess bow too. They're like, yep, sorry, you said if he flies, he's a true god. If he doesn't fly, he's a false god and he's flying. So now you, ironically, are hoisted by your petard. Mm. And uh, Rigel's like, I'm not a god, but I am your emperor, so keep bowing. Baby steps. Baby steps. Anyway, so now they have tech, but also... Okay, for some reason this stopped, like, water from being able to be pumped? Okay, okay. So, whenever you have a society that doesn't have tech, Mm -hmm. the question is, what do you count as tech? Because, and, and that's what we were just talking about, right? Like... 
would John's ship, which uses, which burns dinosaurs to fly, like, would, is that technology? Okay, since this field apparently stopped them from being able to use whatever system water pumps go by. So I'm saying that I guess it stopped aqueducts, the first (laughs) instance of technology, which interesting correlation to the Paradise Syndrome. One of the things that Kirk introduces to make himself seem like a god to the people are aqueducts. It's, It's really just that episode. Except slightly less racist. Yeah, so basically Rigel is going to go back to the ship and he's still their king, even though he's not their god. And he tells them to not let the peacekeepers know that they were there if the peacekeepers show up. And then she's like, what's a peacekeeper? And Rigel's like, eh. But I like that the people are like, oh, good, because none of us wanted to go to space. Thank God. Now we can just stay here and have fresh water. And you know what? I'm happy for them. Yeah. You know, I do like that. I do like that Rigel's like, you know, you can you can go into space now. My empire, to which you are property, is vast, Ooh. and you can visit any part of it you want. And they're like, yeah, thanks. We're just going to stay here. On our paradise planet, you yeah. know, next to this beautiful lake. Anyway, I guess Lachelle is cool with marrying Rikon now. Well, she does throw one last. She's like, hey, John, you sure you don't want to stay here and just like bang this out? And he's like, nah, I should probably go. And she's like, okay, hey, Rikon, guess we're back on. He's like, oh, good. Hey, you know what? I think he has no problem being second choice, mm. especially if it means he gets to be king in the end. Point. Yeah. So then Dargo and John kind of like apologize to each other for being asses, which I think is a big step forward for them. Yes. It is a big step forward for Dargo. Yes. I meant like their relationship then. Yeah. But yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's the episode. Woof. So I, I feel like, I, I mean, we have segments, but I don't even know. If anything would apply here. I, I mean, I really I guess... feel like it doesn't. So I, I almost think we should just skip over our segments this week. Whichever one is about the universe, it did feel like it expanded the universe with this being one of uh, Rigel's people's colonies, I guess. I, you're but not... even that, I mean, they didn't really explain. Like, why did you send these people away and then strand them here? And what? Would, yeah. So. Yeah. None of the segments this week. What a weird episode. I I don't. I mean, I don't want to say it's the worst episode because I was engaged during all of it, which is more than I can say for other episodes but like the bad kind of engaged yes it was the bad kind of engaged i wasn't bored at all during it i was angry at several points during it but it wasn't one of those episodes where my mind wanders and then i just sort of go in and out of it so well i'm actually much more excited about next week's episode crackers don't matter no god i wish no next week's episode is durka returns oh the space wizard guy that uh xan exploded no that's not Durka. Oh. Durka's the guy that tortured Rigel. Oh. But that's not why I'm excited. That was PK Tech Girl, right? Yes. That was one of the episodes where I was kind of in and out. Here's the description of that episode. Okay. A collision with a Nabari ship brings a Nabari criminal named Chiana to Moya. Oh. Yes. Along with a mentally cleansed Captain Dargo, much to the surprise of Rigel. But no, no. Chiana next week. Wait, I thought Captain Once-His-Bucket was dead. Yeah, that's why it's much to the surprise of Rigel. Because we saw his corpse and everything. Yeah, we totally did. Okay. So, wow, Chiana. 
This is where she makes the mistake of doing cat motions a whole bunch, right? And then yep. they bring her back later and uh, She's stuck doing that for several ever. seasons. Unfortunate. So I think that does it for this week. Yeah. Our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should head over to our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or ilovetvzines on Twitter. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm -hmm.